Great. Well, a big welcome to uh, Oak Hall Cafe this morning. It's uh, so good to see you and uh, great to be able to share this beautiful uh, morning with you. We've been having these events for years now, um, for about, I don't know, 12, 13 years. We've had different events where we've invited guests in or we've had interviews with people and uh, it's been great. Uh, we try and design it so that there's not... Um, things where you need to stand up and sit down or uh, um, read stuff. You just kind of sit and relax and, uh, and have a listen and a think as something is shared. So thank you so much. It might be you're here for the first time today. Uh, we're really glad you're here. Um, it might be you're tuning in for the first time today. And that music was for you because we realize that sometimes people sit on YouTube and it's all silent. Here in the room, we can chat to each other and enjoy each other's company, whereas at home, you're sitting there quietly waiting for the clock to go down. So we thought today you'd have a bit of music. So we found some dodgy guitarist to play some music for you. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here with us too. And uh, together, we're going to be looking at a really interesting title. And we've got some special guests with us. And our theme is... Five ways to thrive in a post-pandemic world. Five ways to thrive in a post-pandemic world. And we'll be thinking over those things over the next um, hour. And then after an hour, we'll kind of head outside. For me, the highlight actually is then that we can chat. We're allowed to chat now. Imagine that. We're going to chat in the car park for a few minutes um, before um, we head off. And that's a great opportunity to talk more about the, uh, the things that we've shared this morning. So thank you for being here. A big warm welcome. And uh, it's going to be great to share the morning with you. Well, we'd like to straight away welcome our special guests. They've come a long way. We'll find out where they've traveled from, distant, um, distant um, lands in a moment. But let's just welcome them first of all. So big round of applause for uh, Rebecca and Michael. Great. Oh, fantastic. Welcome, you two. So you've come from, um, you've actually come from beyond the, the Thames, haven't you? Yeah, north of the Thames, so the, <laughs> the, the deep, dark north. Yes. So, so where have you come from? Uh, so Leicestershire. Um, or the Shire, as we now call it, <laughs> uh, because it's clearly where the hobbits come from. Uh, so right in the middle of England, uh, and we've lived there for 11 days now. Amazing. We recently moved. How are you finding it, Rebecca? <laughs> I love it. I, I, I love being in the countryside. I've always lived in cities, so I feel very middle-aged moving to the country <laughs> and living I've a rural seen, life. I've seen pictures of you kind of having your uh, um, breakfast on this amazing lawn with your kind of sourdough that you've spent, you know, the last 24 hours preparing. <laughs> it's just amazing. So is that, is that it? Are you just going to live there now, quietly in the Shire? Well, no. So <laughs> we both travel quite a lot um, with our respective jobs. Um, so it's really a base. Um, so hopefully as things open up, we'll be traveling, um, me, around the UK and other parts of Europe, and Rebecca, hopefully a bit further. Brilliant. Oh, well, it, it's really generous of you to come down all this way. You came down yesterday. You could be here for this first event this morning. Well, we really appreciate it. And I know, Michael, you're writing books, speaking. I've heard you speaking in cities as diverse as uh, Lvov, um, across to um, so Lviv, if you're in, um, across to um, uh, places in Poland, Spain. Um, where are you speaking next as far as across the sea? Across the sea? But well, it hasn't happened for quite a while, as you can see, unless it's by Zoom, and then it's been all over the world um, from the living room. Uh, so hopefully Spain um, in the autumn. Um, uh, we'll see how things open up. Yeah, great. And Rebecca, you know, you've, you've actually not been married for very long, the two of you, have you? When, when did you get married? We got married last year. But we got married middle of January last year when the world was normal uh, <laughs> before it all went a bit mad. So we were very fortunate to get married when we did. Yeah. And then yeah. six weeks after we get married, living in a new place, lockdown happens. Yes. It's funny because people say, uh, when did you get married? And we say 2020. And they go, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm like, no, no, it was a, it was a normal wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Just before it all kicked off. Mm. So, so Rebecca, 
I know that you, are marrying, you married a man who has kind of traveled to every country in Europe and, and many countries beyond. Um, but actually, you're, that's, you know, that is small fry compared to, to your traveling, Rebecca. I mean, how many air miles have you done? Oh, goodness, that's a good question. It's more done by hours. Is it? So, like 10,000 flying hours. 10,000 flying hours. So, maybe work that out how many times around the world, I don't really know. I'd have to sit and work it out. Yeah, or how many <laughs> times to the moon. <laughs> Amazing. So, so, Rebecca, why is it that you've done 10,000 flying hours? It just, you love it. So, I'm a long-haul pilot. Um, so, I used to fly the 747, which is the the Boeing 747 jumbo jet. And sadly, because of COVID, they retired it. So um, I'm now grounded until things pick up and then I can fly a new aircraft. So yeah, my job is temporarily kind of stopped, which has been very hard. Yes. I haven't flown since last June. Wow. It's We've a got time. a new Nissan Micra and I just about managed to back it into spaces. Um, <laughs> but I don't have to reverse a jumbo. <laughs> you don't have to reverse no. jumbo. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so, We've so got little tug, tug men and women that do that, pushes back. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yeah. It's, it's, um, so what routes did you used to do commonly? In I used to do South Africa, um, West Coast of America, um, some of South America, Middle East, so all over, really. Amazing, yeah. amazing. And did you fly... Mostly out of a particular um, UK airport? Heathrow, would always be based out of would Heathrow, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And how long would you be away for? Would you just go there and straight back? So or? anything from 24 hours to kind of like three or four days. So you would fly to, say, New York and spend 24 hours there resting, fly back, or fly to Cape Town, spend three days resting there, fly back. It depends on the time zone difference Wow. and uh, the distance. Amazing. And night flights as well. You have to make sure you're well rested. So, yeah. Brilliant. Wow, that's, that's, that's incredible. So, so the pandemic has quite impacted your life personally then? Very much, yeah. So I haven't flown since last June. Um, I did do some cargo flights and some like government repatriation flights. Um, but everything's just on hold at the moment um, because there's so little flying. Yeah. Unfortunately, hopefully things will pick up. Yes, yes. Yeah. Wow. So... I mean, how, how, have you, how have you dealt with that? I mean, that's really challenging. I know mm. from some of your stories of how you started flying that really flying has been, you know, one of the most important things in your lives, Very in your much. life. Yeah. Well, it's more than just a job. It's a lifestyle. It's a passion. It's something yeah. that I wanted to do since I was 10. Yeah. And there's a lot of training that goes into being a pilot. And it's something that, you know, you tend to really enjoy doing. So to, to not be able to do that has been extremely hard. Yes. And to have that kind of taken away from me and not you know, trying to go into any job is not very easy. Yeah, yeah. If that's all I've ever done. Yeah. So. You know, we could all we could all share a story, couldn't we, together um, in the car park or um, as we're in our places, you know, about how this pandemic has, has hit us. And uh, we've all been impacted in different ways. Some of us are, are dear friends and uh, we've been telling each other of the different ways that this, this pandemic has, has impacted us. And... Um, and different ways we've been trying to cope with it. And it's been really challenging. I don't know, Rebecca, I mean, how have you found it, trying to cope with this massive impact on your I think your so. Life? Initially, I just had to um, deal with the shock of it, because it was a shock to us all, wasn't it, what happened? Um, and then the uncertainty of being made possibly redundant. Um, fortunately, I've just been put into a holding pool with, with the company I work for. So um, although I'm not working, they will, when things pick up, take me back on again. But it's just that dealing with the emotions of it. And I think it's okay to feel the emotions, to feel frustrated and to feel angry and give them to God as a Christian. I was able to just give these frustrations to God. And I found that reading the Psalms in the Bible really helpful because King David um, kind of spells out his emotions in the Psalms and the Bible. And God is big enough and loving enough that he can deal with our emotions and he can give us what we need um, during that time to help us, mm -hmm. which he did over mm -hmm. time. But it's a process and it's understanding you can't just ignore these kind of feelings. You have to, you know, it's a process of getting then through to acceptance and then with a clear mind thinking, well, what can I now do with my time? Mm, brilliant. You know, it's, you kind of started to touch on it, but I wanted to say, you know, what 
kind of lessons have you learned from this yeah. experience and uh, and anything that you'd kind of hold on to as you, as you move forward I think I've, I'm used to being like in control of my schedule and being organized and knowing what's going to happen, which is a good thing if you're a pilot wanting to be in control. But actually, I've had to learn to just give that to God and just we don't know what the future holds. And there's a lot in the Bible that talks about a worry and anxiety. And um, it, there's a lot in scripture that talks about how to deal with our anxiety, which is really helpful. But I think just taking one day at a time and realizing that we can't control everything and work everything out and plan everything. We just have to kind of be flexible and give some of these plans to God as well. Thank you, Rebecca. Well, I, I think some of us probably have already thought, right, I want to talk to Rebecca about this or that out in the car park and a, a bit later on. But thank you so much for being here and for coming down and sharing a bit of your story. Um, we're, we're looking forward to, uh, to Michael um, sharing something with us now. But Michael, you, you're often writing, aren't you, mm. as well? You've been on Zoom a lot these last few, yeah. uh, speaking to a lot of different people, haven't you? Yes, yeah, so um, I guess that's one of the beauties of being able to travel the world via Zoom. Yes. Uh, so from, from our dining room uh, in our flat, I was in New Zealand and Africa and America and all over the world, yeah. um, which has been great being able to make the most of that, but really missed being able to speak to people face-to-face. -face. I say almost face-to-face -face here today. I can see most of your faces. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, that's much better. Because actually, like Andy was saying, one of the great things about an event like this is not just being able to listen to a talk, but it's to be able to engage together and chat together about it afterwards, which I really love. And obviously, you can't do that in the same way online. Oh, well, Michael, we, we've come, we, some of us have received these little flyers with this title, Five Ways to Thrive in a Post-Pandemic World. Some of us have been invited kind of personally. Some of us have uh, seen social media with this. And uh, we're here. We're really looking forward to what you've got to say. So please, take it away. Great. And, uh, yeah, thank, thank you. you. Great. Well, it is a joy um, to be here. And great to have you here. And if you don't normally come to Oak Hall Church on a Sunday morning, particularly great to have you here as well. At the end, we're going to have a time where you can ask questions. And actually, you can do that at any point um, through uh, the next uh, 20 minutes or so um, on an app on your phone, if you've got a smartphone as opposed to a dumb phone. Um, so if you go to a, a website called Slido, S-L-I dot D-O, um, and if you put in the hashtag five ways, that's five spelt out, the word F-I-V-E, ways, five ways, go to that and you'll find um, a place there to put questions, okay? Um, so unlike most public events where you're asked to turn your phone off, uh, please turn it on, grab it if you want right now, uh, because there's also a place to put a poll, there's a question on there that I'd love you to respond to. Rebecca, can you just pass my phone up so I can see the answers? Um, if you get your phone out um, and go to slido.com and put in five ways, um, the question uh, that I've put down there, just to check that you're working, to check that we're all engaged, um, is this. What are you most thankful for post-lockdown? So as we've started to come out of lockdown, as we've been able to start to do things that we've not been able to do for, for over a year, what are some of the things uh, that you're most thankful for um, that you've now been able to do that you haven't been able to do for a while? Um, if you get onto that and start writing your answers, hopefully someone will write something and um, I'll, I'll see uh, what comes up. Um, here we go. Let me... Uh, Oh, Faye, I wonder who that one was. <laughs> uh, meeting people, yeah. Um, isn't it great to be able to meet with people again? We've not been able to do that for, for so long. Um, how lovely to be able to sit, firstly in gardens, then maybe around the dinner table. Um, although with this weather, uh, probably gardens are the place of choice, even if we can sit inside. Giving my grandma a hug, absolutely. Maybe hugs we didn't really appreciate before, but we've been able to appreciate that. Meeting up with friends. Um, seeing family, sunshine. I'm very thankful for sunshine. Basically, we moved into our house and the sun has not stopped shining, which is really good because we don't have any furniture in our house yet. The only furniture we have is garden furniture. And so far, we've been <laughs> fine uh, because it's, uh, it's been great. Another vote for seeing family, 
um, meeting friends, sit, staying with my sister. Yeah, being able to stay with people again. Isn't that wonderful post-lockdown to be able to go and actually just sit and to chew the fat late into the night and not have to kind of sit in a freezing cold garden and to be able to enjoy that. Eating inside again. Uh, wasn't it funny when we were able to go and eat outside? I think it was the first day it snowed. <laughs> and it was like, you're really hardcore if you were going to make the most of your new liberties being returned to you. But now we can eat inside. And in Britain, that is a particular blessing, isn't it? It's catching up face to face, freedom, hugs, um, fantastic. They're all really great things, aren't they, um, to be thankful for. And as we think about living in this post-pandemic world, um, we want to think, how can we live our lives better? How can we thrive? What ways can we live better as we look to the future after this experience that we have been through? You know, there are lots of people making predictions about what the future is going to be like in terms of how fast or slow we're going to get back to normal, what normal is going to be like, or whether it's going to be a new normal. Are we all going to be going back to our offices in London, or are we going to be working from the Bahamas? I mean, these are the kind of questions that people want to know the answers to. And I have to be straight up at the beginning and say, I don't know, okay? I'm not going to offer any predictions this morning about what the future might look like. Because actually, one of the things that we should have learned by now through this last experience is that we don't know what the future looks like. None of us saw this pandemic coming. None of us knew what was going to happen because we don't know what the future holds. And we can't control the future, can we? We have found ourselves in a situation that we cannot control. So rather than trying to predict the future, which we can't, rather than trying to control the future, which we can't, the question, the more important question is this. How can we control our response to what happens? Because that is something we can do. Whatever happens, whatever happens in the future, how can we respond to that in a better way? And I want to suggest this morning five very practical, simple things uh, that we might learn from this experience so that we can live better moving forward. And the first is related to what we've just looked at, and that is to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. You often don't appreciate things until you don't have them. Isn't that true? It's a bit like your health. Uh, recently, I had the flu. It was the flu, not COVID. And, um, you know, when you get better from the flu, suddenly you appreciate being able to just breathe through your nose in a way that you've never done before. Like most of your life, you just don't think about the facts that you don't have a cough or a cold. But when you've had one, at least for a few days, possibly even a week afterwards, you just enjoy the fact that you're healthy. And if you've had a really serious condition and you've recovered from it, you would know that even more. But it's a little bit like that coming out of lockdown, isn't it? Because suddenly we've been caused to appreciate things that we've maybe taken for granted for our whole lives. Being able to sit around a table with our family, being able to give them a hug, being able to travel to a different part of the country, to go on holiday, to be able to, to, be able to do all of these things that we haven't been able to do. And certainly for the first few days and weeks, there's a great appreciation, isn't there, of these things that we've never had before because we've not had them for a while. But the danger is, a little bit like our health, we just start taking it for granted again, don't we? We slip back into just taking this as normal. And so maybe one of the lessons coming out of lockdown is to cultivate an attitude of gratitude for those simple, small things in life that are so easy to take for granted. Maybe one of the practical ways to do that is to get in the habit every single day of listing at least two things that you're thankful for. They might be small, they might be big, but in any given day, there will be things for which we can be thankful. Let's not take these things for granted. Let's cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Secondly, here's another thing that we can do. We can develop a rhythm of rest. I was noticing an article in The Guardian just a few weeks ago, and it talked about people who were going to, moving forwards, develop a regular, quote, lockdown day. And you're thinking, who on earth would want to create a lockdown day? We want to get out of lockdown. But what they meant by that was there are things, some things for some people about lockdown, which were actually quite helpful. Not everyone, and it obviously depended on your situation. But maybe it was helpful because it caused you to slow down rather than rushing around if you were very, very busy. 
Or maybe it was helpful because it forced you to spend time with family. And for some people, that was time that they very rarely had. Maybe you've had too much time with family now. But, but, but it caused you to, to have that. Maybe it caused you to take notice of your surroundings and the place where you live, your garden, your neighborhood in a way that you haven't before. And what the article was saying is maybe we need to cultivate into the rhythm of our lives days or weeks or times when we can slow down, to take stock, to enjoy being together, to not to rush continually. And the danger coming out of lockdown is we think, I can do stuff now, and we fill our diaries for the next six months. And in six months' time, we're exhausted. Maybe there's a lesson to learn about developing this rhythm of rest. Number three, here's the third thing I think we need to learn, and it's this. Remember the importance of relationships. Remember the importance of relationships. The strapline through the pandemic has been staying apart saves lives. And in a sense, I get where that is coming from. Staying apart physically during a pandemic means that you're less likely to infect others and they're less likely to infect you. And that's true. But actually, staying apart causes great harm to our lives in other ways, doesn't it? Staying apart harms us emotionally and mentally because we need each other. I heard someone quip earlier in the pandemic that Brits, of all people, should be good at social distancing because we've been doing it for years. And it's kind of true, isn't it? As Brits, we're not so good at community We're not so good at thinking about the people who live next door. Some cultures, some parts of the world do that really well. We're quite an individualistic society. And the irony is, it's taken a pandemic to actually bring us together. It's taken a pandemic to cause neighborhoods to recognize that there are people living next door to them. It took a clap for carers on Thursday nights to get people to see who live next door to them and so on. And maybe one of the lessons that we've learned is actually we do need each other. And now that we can do more than simply clap on our front steps together, maybe we need to continue that community and those relationships and embrace the facts that actually staying apart may be helpful in a pandemic, but it is certainly not a helpful way to live life long term. We do need each other. And here's number four. Number four is this. Avoid the myth of safetyism. What do I mean by that? Again, one of the strap lines through uh, the pandemic, one of the expressions that has come to the fore is this, stay safe. You know, you don't say goodbye anymore, do you? Um, Or have a good journey, it's stay safe. That's the kind of parting shot uh, that we offer to people. And again, in a pandemic, you can see why people have been saying that. But I think there's a danger. There's a danger that we make safety the most important attribute of life. And I think that's dangerous. Because if you make safety the most important thing in life, you might actually miss out on living life. Because life is not inherently safe. And those who achieve great things in life and do great things in life are often those who are willing to take risks. Now, I'm not suggesting that therefore you just go and take unmitigated risks and risk your life in stupid ways, but... The desire to try and make life 100% safe can also mean that we miss out on really living life. And also, if you want to make life 100% safe, it also means you'll miss out on love. Because love is not safe. Love is risky, isn't it? If you want to live life and not get hurt, then it's very hard to love. I was struck by what C.S. Lewis once said in this regard about love. Let me read it to you. C.S. Lewis, the Oxford professor and writer. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark and motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, unpenetrable, irredeemable. To love at all is to be vulnerable. See, love is not safe, is it? And maybe we need to overcome that desire to keep our lives 100% safe, which is impossible anyway. Be willing to take risks so that we can love others. 
And then number five, recognize the fragility of life. We need to recognize the fragility of life. Again, in the West, in many ways, for, for most of our lives, we've been inoculated from the reality of death. It's something that happens to other people in other parts of the world. But of course, during the pandemic, we've been confronted with the reality of death in a fresh way, haven't we? We've seen statistics on our television screens day after day. We've been reminded of that. And for some of us, tragically, in far more personal ways as we've lost those close to us. But it's not just our physical lives that are fragile. But we've also learned that the things in our life are fragile as well, haven't we? Careers can come to an end through redundancy or retirement. Relationships can come to an end through death or divorce. So many things in our lives, the kind of things that we're tempted to build our lives on, are ultimately quite fragile, and the pandemic has shown that, hasn't it? That these things can be taken away in a moment. Which leaves us with the question, what therefore can we build our lives on? Is there a foundation that can withstand any uncertainty and any event in the future? I don't want to say there is. There is something that we can build our lives on that will help us not only in that, but in all these other areas. And you might be guessing that I'm going to talk about God, and of course I am. But before I want to explain how God can help us in all of those five areas very briefly, I've asked Andy to sing us a song as we reflect on those things. And then as we wrap up in a moment, I'll explain how actually God helps us of all of those things in a very real way. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Michael. Oh, this song is um, it's about a guy who is kind of realizing his vulnerability. And uh, as he just walks through town, as he stares at the TV, as he even stares at himself, and as he's kind of realizing his vulnerability, well, he sees something towards the end of the song that it's like he's never seen it before. But today, as he sees it, it kind of changes everything. It's called um, Broken Man. This broken man, he stands before a billboard and he stares at plastic perfection and beauty and life out of reach. Life never known, there's a pang of loss as he averts his aching eyes. This broken man, he stands before a TV and he, he stares at premeditated violence and war. Life snatched by death, life stained by fear and he stifles unexplained guilt as he reaches farther remote. And in his heart he kneels, overwhelmed. Yes, in his heart he kneels. Who can rescue us now, this, this broken man? This broken man, he stands before a mirror and he stares at who he really is. Life that slides by and life left behind and he, he stifles. And in his heart he kneels, condemned. Yes, in his heart he kneels. He's just another, he's just another broken man. He's just another broken man. broken man he stands before a wood cross and he stares at love come down and and haunting grace life poured out life exchanged the, the pierced hands of a god who reaches out and something resonates deep in his soul and in his heart, he kneels. Mm. Yes, in his heart, he 
Yes, in his heart he kneels before this crucified king. Yes, he kneels with nothing to bring. Mm, he kneels and does he hear? Does he hear heaven sing? Does heaven sing for this? Does heaven sing for this? Does heaven sing for this? For this broken man? Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Andy. That was great. Well, we've been thinking about five things that we can do to respond to what's happened so that we can thrive in our hopefully post-pandemic world. And we finished by saying that actually God might have something to do with this. Now, you're probably not surprised to hear me say that. You were invited to an event at the church. After all, maybe you were expecting God to come into it a little bit earlier. But how does God come into life post-lockdown? I guess there's a danger that we feel, well, we just need to kind of add him into our lives, a little bit like you add making sourdough or playing football or a new hobby. It's, it's a kind of addition to life that you have on the sides. I'll do a little bit of God. But actually, what I want to say is rather than being a, another addition to life, actually, the God that we're singing about and speaking about is a God who is to be the foundation of life and the one who makes sense of all of life. And so I want to just go back over those five points again and actually show how God makes a difference in all of those five areas of life. Think about the first one, cultivate an attitude of gratitude. I was really struck by what someone said a few years ago when they said, in the West, our problem is not that we have nothing to be thankful for, but no one to be thankful to. In the West, our problem is that we have, not that we have nothing to be thankful for, but no one to be thankful to. See, there are in our lives, even in the midst of a pandemic, things that we can be very, very thankful for. But who do we express that gratitude to? You know, just to Sainsbury's for our food? Just to the NHS for our health? Or is there something more, someone else, ultimately, to whom we can express our thankfulness and gratitude? And actually, we want to say this morning, there is. There is a God behind every good gift. And we can express our gratitude to him. And in fact, what the Bible says is that ingratitude to God is actually the root cause for so many other problems in our world and in our lives. If we were to stop and to start being thankful to God for the things that he gives us, a lot of other things would fall into place as well. Let's be thankful to the God from whom all good gifts come from. But secondly, we talked about developing this rhythm of rest. Now, I smiled when I read that article in The Guardian, uh, because The Guardian were telling us that we should develop a regular lockdown day, and I thought, that's interesting. The Bible's been suggesting that for 3,000 years, and it's called the Sabbath, okay? Way back in the Old Testament part of the Bible, God gave a list of 10 commandments to this nation called Israel, and one of those commandments was to take a day each week and to take it as a day of rest. Now, here's the funny thing. When people hear about the Ten Commandments and the rules that God gave in the Bible, they so often see them as negative things from a God who is oppressive and wanting to steal our joy. And maybe, just maybe, we start to realize that perhaps God's motivation was for our good, not for our harm. That taking a day of rest where we slow down, where we appreciate those around us, is good for us. And not doing that actually hurts us. Someone once said, when we break God's rules, they break us. Because God, as the designer and creator of life, knows how life is best lived. And one of our problems is that we've ignored him and tried to make up our own manual of life. And when we do that, we so often make a mess of life, don't we? Maybe not just in the area of rest, but in other areas of life. We need to take stock and say, maybe God has something to say about how life is best lived. And I should maybe submit to him because he has my best interests at heart. What about number three? Remember the importance of relationships. 
We've been caused to remember how important relationships are during this time, how much we need each other. And actually, the Bible makes sense of that because the Bible says that God created us for relationships. Because the most fundamental thing the Bible says about God is that he is love. He is a God of relationships. And when he created us, he created us in his image to reflect what he is like, to be people of relationships who love and are loved, who find our meaning and identity in our relationships. Relationships are important because that's the way that God made us, to be connected to each other and to be connected to him. And actually, if you talk about community, one of the most beautiful expressions of intergenerational multicultural community you'll find anywhere in the world is called the church. These bunches of people who are meeting all over the world, as we are this morning, brought together because of God and our love for him. And if you're not normally part of this church, then all I'd say is you're really welcome to be part of this church. And one of the things that church is meant to be when it's operating at its best is, is a family, a community where you find welcome and connection and belonging. And I'm sure you'd find all of those things here in this church as well. And then number four, we talked about avoiding the, the desire for safetyism, avoiding the myth of safetyism. Because we said that love ultimately isn't safe. Love is risky. And actually that gets to the heart of the whole Christian story. Because the Christian story is about a God who didn't choose safety but chose love. A God who could have stayed safe in heaven where everything was safe. But actually he chose to leave heaven and to come into this risky, hurting, broken world. And in the person of Jesus, he chose that knowing not only that it was risky, but it would cost him his life. Because the story of the Bible is a God who gave his life for us. God who chose not safety, but love for you and me. Because he knew that it was the only way to reconnect us to him and the only way to reconnect us to each other. This expression of love as God in Jesus came and died, taking the consequences of all of the mess in our lives so that we can be forgiven and reconciled and restored to this God who made us. God didn't choose safety, he chose love. And the Bible says that when we come to discover the love of God, he calls us to follow in his footsteps, to choose love as the most important thing in life, not safety. And then number five, we talked about recognizing the fragility of life. And we said that, that actually in life, all of these things that we might be tempted to build life on are fragile. But here's the wonderful thing about knowing this God of love. He gives us a foundation in life that is totally secure. He gives us a foundation which can't be taken away. A job may come and go. Relationships will come and go. Our life will come and go. But if we know God in Jesus, if we've experienced his love, we can have a foundation and a security that can never be taken away. Whatever the future holds, and we started by saying we have no idea what the future holds, but whatever the future holds, if you have a relationship with God, that is something that is secure through life and through death. Because the Bible says that the one who came and died for us, Jesus, also rose from the dead. He's alive, and therefore death itself is not something we need to fear. It's just merely a gateway. It's not a full stop, merely a comma, merely a passageway to life in all its fullness. So as I wrap up, I guess my question is, do you know that foundation in your life? Have you come to discover this relationship with God, this God whom you can show gratitude to, this God who knows how life is best lived, this God who wants to bring you into relationship with himself and with others? Do you know that? Do you know the foundation that he can give you in life? And if not, I just want to say, that is on offer this morning. You could know that. You could discover this God for yourself. Why not, why not talk to him and ask him to come into your life, to connect you with himself, to clear out the stuff that is wrong, to forgive you, and then to, to help you from this moment on to live with him at the center of life as the foundation of your life. Maybe you're saying, well, I'm not quite ready to do that. 
I'd like to think about that a little bit more. Consider these things. And, and the church would love to help you consider these things more. Maybe you've got questions. In a moment, uh, we'll go to questions on the Slido. So if you've not already, um, in a moment when we have another song, use that opportunity to ask your questions. But do consider these things. Wouldn't it be a tragedy to kind of go through this experience and not to take the opportunity to ask these big questions about life, to simply rush back in to the, to the kind of treadmill of day-to-day life without stopping to think about the bigger questions. Take the opportunity to do that. At very least, take the opportunity to look into the life of Jesus and to consider what that would mean for yourself. But I'm going to pause. Andy's going to sing us one more song. Um, and then after that, um, we're going to have a time for questions um, so as you listen, if you are able to multitask, um, then you could not only listen to Andy, but you could also be writing your questions that you might have off the back of that. Um, be completely honest. Um, you can be anonymous as well. So um, ask whatever you like off the back of that. And then we'll have 10 minutes or so to look at those questions before we finish. Okay? Brilliant. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. It's really uh, inspiring, isn't it, to hear these things. Well, this, this song I, uh, I wrote just a few weeks ago. And it talks about the God who holds out his hands. He holds out his hands, beckons light into blind eyes. He holds out his hands. He brings hope like the sunrise. He holds out his hands and he brings, he brings peace to this crazed man's cries. Cause he holds out his hands. holds out his hands now they're pierced through he holds out his hands and he's lifted for all to view and he holds out his hands and as he does a, a barrier's torn in two because he holds out his hands holds out his hands, hands that raised the dead, that gave the hungry bread, hands that make the broken you, they're reaching now for you, said they're reaching now for you. Holds out his hands. He holds out his hands. They sculpted the heavens. He holds out his hands. God with compassion he holds out his hands and as he does you can see that there's your name written on them said as he does you can see there's your name written on them because he holds out his hands holds out his hands Great. Well, I've noticed that we've already got a few questions coming in, um, so do keep on asking the questions um, if you want. Um, I should have also said that you can vote on other people's questions, okay? 
So if you think, oh, that's a really good question, I wish I'd thought of that, you don't have to write the same one, just like it and it will get boosted to the top and we'll start with the most popular ones first, okay? If you don't think it's a good question, I'm afraid you can't vote it down, but what you can do is you can think of a better question and hope that other people like it, okay? That's the way it's working. Um, Andy, have you got, got it up yeah. on your phone? So Andy's going to ask me, say, uh, you, just in case you think I'm going to avoid any particularly difficult ones. <laughs> so we'll just do it in popularity yeah, then. Yeah. Brilliant. So uh, the few thumbs up went on some of these questions as you said that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, well, the first question is, is a simple one. It says, Sundays can be quite busy, mm -hmm. barbecues, going to church, youth groups, how can we practically keep a day of rest despite busyness? In fact, it says, how can we practically keep it as a day of rest despite yeah. its busyness? <laughs> yeah, good question. So, yeah, Sundays can be incredibly busy. Um, and so we can think, oh, gosh, it's probably the most tiring day of the week, uh, particularly if you're actively involved in church and you're getting here early and you're setting up and then you're doing some kids' work and then you're running home and feeding 15 students and that kind of stuff that normally happens in life. Um, Two things I'd say. Firstly, the expression, a change is as good as a rest, is to an extent true, isn't it? So Sundays being a day of rest doesn't always mean lying in bed all day, but it can mean doing things that we don't do on other days of the week um, and taking a break from, from that. So yes, in some ways it can be busy, but there's something very life-giving about having a barbecue and spending time with people and turning off the emails and maybe the mobile phone for a day so that so our focus is on relationships rather than the to-do list. And that can be a really helpful thing. So although it's busy, it can be life-giving busyness rather than draining busyness that we're involved in on a Sunday. But also, I think the honest reflection is, yes, for some people, Sundays can be very busy. I used to work for a church, and I was really helped by uh, the pastor of my church. He says, Sundays are not your day of rest. Like, you're, they're your busy work days uh, for me, because that was my job. Uh, so actually, I had a Sabbath day of rest on another day of the week. And I think that's okay. The principle is that we need a day of rest. Um, and so maybe if Sundays are, for whatever reason, particularly busy days, maybe you need to build into your schedule another point in the week. Maybe if you're a couple where you can just have an evening together and you can turn off your phones and you aren't doing lots of stuff for other people, you can just enjoy that time together. So a change is as good as a break, but at the same time, maybe build in other Sabbath moments, periods into your week. Um, uh, someone uh, that I respect, so is an old Christian leader called John Stott, he says um, that he basically would build in a day of rest a week, um, uh, but then he would try and build in a week of rest a year, like a week where he just kind of really took time away, as well as holidays and stuff like that. But he kind of had this schedule, this rhythm of rest, and that was mm. very helpful. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, this, this is a really profound question. Um, how can God be my rock but let the pandemic happen? Isn't a pandemic from him? Mm. That's a really, um, really good question. Um, you might be thinking, well, if God is behind this pandemic, why would I want to turn to a God like that? Wouldn't I want to turn away from, from God and move as quickly as I can in the opposite direction? And I think it depends what your view of God is. Um, some views of God are very fatalistic. Um, the idea that God wills everything in the same kind of way. That's very much the idea behind Islam, actually. And the idea is that we submit to whatever Allah wills. That's kind of fundamental. I was chatting to a Muslim about another um, big event that had happened, and he says, well, we just submit um, to what Allah wills. That's, that's how we, we do it. But I think, actually, as I understand God as he reveals himself in the Bible, God is different to that. Um, we're asked to pray by Jesus, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which makes me think that, actually, the things that happen in this world sometimes grieve God. Um, they aren't what God would ultimately want. And actually, they aren't how God originally designed the world. And they're not how the world will one day be in the future. The Bible talks about we live in a broken world, a world that has gone wrong. And it's interesting when you look at how Jesus reacted as he saw the brokenness of our world, when he saw death and disease. He was grieved by it. He was angered by it. So I don't, as a Christian, see God in a kind of fatalistic way, causing all things in this kind of way, and we simply submit to it. I think, in a way, there are things in this world that, that grieve the heart of God too. And I think the principle is the world we live in is not the way it once was, and it's not the way it one day will be. And that's the great thing as a Christian. I look forward to a day when there will be no more pandemics, no more suffering, no more natural disasters, no more disease and death. 
Um, and the Bible says that hope is not some kind of illusory pipe dream, but it's based on this event, the resurrection of Jesus, this historical event that you can check out and investigate. And if it happened in the past, if Jesus rose from the dead, then I can have confidence that one day he can sort out these other things too. So I think it is a different way of seeing these things. Um, and God wants to be with us in the pain and suffering. And as I look at God revealed in the Bible, it's most clearly seen in Jesus, a God who came into this broken world to live it alongside us and with us. And by his spirit, the Bible says he wants to be with us in the midst of the pain and the brokenness now. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. I found um, some of your um, books that you've written really helpful, like um, What Kind of God? Mm-hmm. And uh, you tackle just very briefly um, but very helpfully in that question, in that mm. book, what kind of God would allow um, suffering? Yeah. And I really commend that to uh, anyone who's asking that kind of question. Brilliant. Here's another really helpful question. Um, isn't what you've just said true about every religion? What makes what, what makes what you believe any different to other religions in terms of outcome? Yeah, that's a good question, because you might think, well, okay, that was very nice. You know, I came to a church this morning, so you're going to talk about Jesus, and you're going to talk about God being the answer to these things. But, you know, if I'd gone to a mosque or to a temple or um, to any other place of worship, I'm sure they would have probably said something similar um, in terms of these things. And, of course, the five points uh, that I made initially um, clearly made no reference to God in one sense. You could say, well, I can embrace those without having to embrace the Christian faith, and in a sense, that's true. What I want to say is actually... The God that we find in the Bible, the God represented in Jesus, is a God who makes best sense of these things. And I think better than any other philosophy or worldview that we might have in life. And if you think back through them, you know, we talked, um, didn't we, about um, developing an attitude of gratitude. Well, we talked about God being the source of all good gifts. Uh, That might be true of some religions, certainly not true of every religion, that God is the source of all things. Um, in that way. We talked about um, developing this rhythm of rest. Um, Well, you might say that Judaism and and Islam might, to an extent, recognize that, so so that's probably true. What about the importance of relationships? Well, actually, the Bible, I think, uniquely gives us a foundation for relationships because it says that God is love. And because the Bible says God created us in his image, I think that is a uniquely biblical thing, this idea that love is at the heart of, of what it means to be human. It gives us the foundation for why that is the case and why it's really important. And ultimately, I would say, uniquely, the Bible talks about a God who left the security, the safety of heaven and came into this world. And that is different. Other religions may talk about a deity, a divine power, a God or whatever, but that God is often very distant. Not a God who comes into the brokenness of our world to suffer with us and to suffer for us. Only in Jesus do we find that. I was struck by um, a poem that I read a few years ago by a a poet who lived 100 years ago during the First World War. And he was trying to reconcile the suffering that he had seen with his belief in God. And he wrote this poem called Jesus of the Scars. And it goes like this. The other gods were strong, but thou was weak. They rode, but thou did stumble to thy throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And no God has wounds, but thou alone. In other words, he's saying the only God who has wounds and scars is is Jesus. And he's the one who wants to be with us and show that love to us. And I think that is something uniquely that you'll only find um, in Jesus. Um, And then we talked about um, having a foundation in life that goes through life and death. And I say ultimately, the Christian faith gives us an answer to that because it says that Jesus has conquered death. Every other world religion has a, a founder, a leader, and they all lived and they all died. The unique thing about Jesus Christ is that Christians say he rose from the dead. Now that's either the greatest myth that's ever been invented and perpetuated for 2,000 years, or it is incredibly true. And the more I've looked into it, and by the way, it stood up to 200 years of critical scholarship and no one yet has come up with a decent alternative to the evidence, I discovered that it is true. And again, that I think sets it apart as unique if, if it indeed is true. So I'd say it's not simply a case of saying, you know, add on whatever religion you like. And that's disingenuous to religions, by the way. I think we want to take each religion in terms of the claims that it makes. Um, And they are different. And I think in Jesus we find unique claims. And what I've discovered is that they aren't something I'll find anywhere else. 
Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you, Michael. We've got time for one more. Yeah. And so this is the last one. Thank you so much for sending in the questions. They've been really helpful. Um, this is a quite a personal question. Um, has there been a time in your life when you particularly needed that foundation? Have you ever worried it wouldn't be enough or wasn't there, even there, when needed? Yeah. Um, I guess it's a really good question because... All of us maybe go through times in life, maybe particularly through the pandemic, where we've been caused to question our identity, the things that we build our lives on. Rebecca really helpfully talked about you know, what it's like to suddenly have part of your identity stripped away when your passion is flying and then not being able to do that. Maybe for you that's been different. It was a time a few years ago where I went through a period of a, nearly a year where I wasn't sure what the future was going to hold, whether I was going to continue um, in the job that I was doing. Um, I won't go into all the details of that, but it was quite an unsettling time where it was like, you know, I'm not sure what the future holds. Things were, were very uncertain. But actually, I would say it was a really helpful time, although a difficult time, because it forced me to actually ask, what is the ultimate foundation of my identity? Is it that I give talks and write books and travel? Um, or is it more fundamentally that I'm a child of God? that I'm loved by him. It's not that my job isn't important as part of my identity. Our identities are multifaceted, aren't they? Um, they're made up of our relationships, our vocations, you know, and things like that. But the danger is if, if they become ultimate, then life becomes very fragile because things can take them away. You know? If my identity was in being able to travel, well, the last year I've not been able to. It's not as satisfying speaking to a computer as it is being able to, to go around Europe and to be able to speak to people. But I think what I've discovered is actually remembering that God can be that ultimate foundation is very liberating because it means that we can face the future and have real confidence saying, okay, everything might change, but it's going to be okay. Not necessarily easy, but it's going to be okay because I've got this firm foundation and, and this God will be with me through whatever the next chapter of life will be. Um, that might sound you know, difficult to comprehend if you haven't experienced that, but I just want to say it is real. And, and we really want to commend that to you and say this foundation of life is available to you as well if you haven't yet discovered it. God wants to be that foundation for you. Um, uh, and, and if you ask him to come into your life, to connect you to himself and to become that foundation to your life, he will. Um, and you'll discover that firsthand as well. Thank you so much for your questions. Sorry we didn't get through them all, um, but I'll be in the car park with the others <laughs> afterwards, and um, we'd love to chat more if you want to chat about the questions that didn't get answered, or if you've got other questions too. Just one other thing I want to say, and that is um, there are some little booklets that we've got that are called Yes, um, and they're written by a friend um, uh, of ours, who knew this foundation in his life, a guy called Michael Green, who a couple of years ago died, but even right up to his death, uh, had that confident foundation that he knew Jesus. And it basically is a booklet about how you can discover this for yourself. Um, so Andy and I and Rebecca will have some copies of it. We'll be outside. Um, if you would like to explore what it would be like to, to discover Jesus as the foundation of your life, um, then we'd love to give one to you, okay? Um, so just come and grab it off us um, in the car park. Um, you can chat if you want, or just come and take the booklet. We'd be happy uh, to give that to you, and you might find that really helpful. Brilliant. Michael, thank you. Um, we really appreciate you coming to be um, a part of this morning, um, and uh, thank you so much for all of you joining us. Do come uh, and, and chat in the car park. We would um, love to invite you back. So next week, uh, we're together here again at 9.30 in the morning. Uh, also at 11, and we want to continue to reflect on and, th and think about these things. I hope you've heard this morning a coherent um, explanation of, of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ and the hope and the vision that that gives. Um, it's not based on people kind of crossing their fingers and shutting their eyes and leaping into the dark, but rather on this the basis um, of the death and resurrection of Jesus and this historical event that has changed the lives of those who have entrusted their lives to, to Jesus. Well, we'd love to talk to you more about these things. Do pick up that leaflet just here um, as you leave.
Um, it says yes on the front. Um, also, Rebecca and Michael and I will have copies if you forget to pick it up as you, as you head out through there. We've got a kind of procedure where we've got these trained professionals who are going to tell us when to move and how to move. Um, so here they come. But um, before they do, just uh, direct us towards the doors. Um, we just want to say thank you um, to those who've been watching online. So glad you could be here um, with us. I want to say thank you to Dan for running the visuals and uh, for Colin looking after the sound. For um, Peter and Dorothy who've been welcoming us and, and David as well and others too. And we want to say thank you to Michael and Rebecca again um, for um, just sharing with us this morning. So let's give a big kind of round of applause. Thank you. Great. <laughs> Well, do be in touch if you are on the live stream. Pop us a message. We'd love to connect. We can meet up in the week, have a cup of coffee together to talk more about these things, go for a walk. Those of you here, we would love to continue this conversation. But we'll say goodbye to the live stream now. So thank you so much for joining us. We can actually turn around and give a wave to everybody out in, in YouTube land. So greetings from Oak Hall Church here in Catrum. And do tune in again soon. Thank you. And thank you so much for being here this morning. We hand now to uh, Dorothy and the team to, uh, to wave us out and see you in the car park. <laughs>